We're going to see the latest film from Cecile Sciamma. Sorry, it's uh, Celine. What did I say? Cecile. Did I? We. Oui. We're going to hear about the latest film from Cecile Sciamma. And whatever John talks... What did I say? Cecile again? We. Oui. <laughs> Celine. <laughs> That's because I've written down Cecile. Ah, that's all <laughs> You could change it. <laughs> I do have a t-shirt with her name on. I should have worn it. Is it spelled right? Yeah. Um, Celine. Celine. This is that shameful gap all thing all over again. We're going to hear about the latest film from Sil... Oh. Just say... Just Celine gonna, Leon, and then we'll edit the surname over. Just say we're going to hear about Andy's latest tedious foreign <laughs> film. <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Oh, do not. There is no Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Fardling, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, and I'm Hazel Chandler. It's a recommendations special episode, so we're going to cover the new sci-fi epic Dune. We're going to find out who would win at Squid Game. We're going to hear about the latest film from director Celine Sciamma, and also whatever John talks about that none of us are ever going to watch. Oh. <laughs> so let's get started. I'd like to begin the podcast with an announcement. Louise has left me. She's coming back. <laughs> but, um, she's, she's away this weekend. So if you can hear a, a knocking in the background, that is my dog eating a pizzle in an attempt to distract her from humping us during the podcast. <laughs> if anyone would like to know what a pizzle is, it is a dried, stretched bull's penis. I didn't want to know. <laughs> well, it's very good to be back with you all. It's been a while and Andy and I haven't done a live podcast in about two years. What's it like being back in the room where it happens? I've missed uh, Nicholas Cage staring at me from all angles. Yes. <laughs> there must be about 10 of them in this yeah. room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really good to be back. We've missed it. We've missed you. <laughs> I mean, we've seen you in the pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's everyone been up to this week? I have been listening to the Come From Away soundtrack on repeat. It's a shame mm-hmm. that Dan is not here because together we would turn this podcast into a Come From Away podcast. I think it's mm-hmm. the second best thing that director's done. What's the first? Stein and the musical. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it really boggles the mind that that director did those two things. Because mm. Come From Away is, <laughs> it's on Apple TV, so do watch it there. But if you get the chance to see it in the West End, it is one of the most remarkable things I've ever, ever seen. With um, just basically about 20 chairs. It's amazing. Mm. Better than a Guinness, better than a wank. <laughs> then you're wanking wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's more than one way to create a creamy head, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> what have you been up to, John? I've been rewatching The Sopranos because um, I want to see the Minnesota New York film that has come out. And then I realised that I didn't remember The Sopranos mm. that well, having not watched it since it came out, which is pushing 20 years ago now, isn't it? Watching that, I'm about halfway through series three at the moment. And it's that very weird thing where you don't remember it, and then every so often a bit of it clicks into your mind. It's like you're spoiling yourself. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently, we're getting a TV series now, a prequel TV series following on from Newark, because the film was a massive flop. Really? I and mean, it was released at the same time on HBO Max and in cinemas, so whether that affected it or not, I'm, well, yeah, I'm not that's sure. The same case with June, and that seems to have done quite well. Mm-hmm. But apparently the budget on the film was $100 million and its opening weekend box office was $4.8 million. Ooh. Ouch. Ow, that's not good. But then HBO said, well, if you look at it kind of in the round, The Sopranos was back in the top 10 stream TV shows mm-hmm. that week, so it's had like a big Knock kind of effects, halo yeah. effect and for The Sopranos brand, so they think it could work as a TV series. Hmm. Um, and I, I will be pitching to uh, starring it as young Young Tony Soprano. Young, young Tony Soprano. Yeah. I'm actually older than James Gandolfini was in the first season of The Sopranos. Wow. He was 38 years old. There's a weird thing with the woman who's the psychiatrist. She was played older in the pilot. So in the pilot, she's clearly aged up and quite frumpy. And then they decided for the series itself to mm. have her be more herself. So there's this very strange jump kind of mm. gradually through the first series, like she's getting younger and younger per episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I would highly recommend it. Have you never 
Um, not a fan. I, I, I've tried to watch it um, and it just felt a little too gritty from the only TV show that I normally watch, which is The West Wing. <laughs> um, so you're still watching The West Wing all the time? Still watching The West Wing, yeah. We watched a couple of episodes this week. <laughs> Other TV shows are available. <laughs> I know, I know. But I did use it as part of a buff or bluff with my work colleagues and that went down very well. So you managed to convince them all you're a, yes. an inveterate liar. Yes, which I now realise is <laughs> uh, not the best thing to do. <laughs> now I have a reputation as a bullshitter. But yes, I convinced my uh, colleagues that I used to be a, a moderator admin for LemonLinum.com, which is a Westwind fang site, and did um, quite a bit of research when, you know, I should be doing proper work. <laughs> I'm still not convinced that this is a bluff. I, you know, I can imagine you sat in the late 90s, early noughties, yeah, typing in text about the West Wing. Yeah, defending CJ from mm-hmm. white men. <laughs> white men on the internet are the best, aren't they? <laughs> I love white men on the internet. Won't hear a word said against them, mm-hmm. will you? <laughs> Peter, what have you been up to this week? I've been watching quite a bit of Squid Game, which we'll be talking about later. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have been doing? You ignored invitations to go to the cinema with Andy, Dan and I, and then went by yourself to see the exact same film two hours later. I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I went, I went to see June with my son two hours after you did. Um, but yeah, we, did, we didn't really decide till late on that we were going to go and see it. Spontaneous cinema trips are the best. You just were like, oh, let's just go. It's great. And it's nice to be able to do that again. I still have not been to the cinema since the before times. Okay. No. The things I've been to are not that full. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. by choosing the time you go, I mean, in your case, you could perhaps go during the day and things even. No, I have a job, Peter. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> kind Do you? of. <laughs> the we of know any... how much you're on Messenger during the day, John. <laughs> For the purposes of any listeners to the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I am working very, very hard. And my Mario Kart time's getting better and better. <laughs> your, your, your legal matters are in good hands. Yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, let's do some recommendations. Peter, what have you been enjoying recently? My recommendation is the South Korean survival drama Squid Game, which has been making the news recently mainly for the enormous number of people worldwide that have been watching it. It's about a contest in which 456 players, all struggling with debt, compete for a 45 billion won prize. That's a lot of won. (laughs) That's worth about 25 million pounds. And that's a lot of won, (laughs) Oh dear. <laughs> Could you tell what I did there? The smile on Peter's face is just something to cherish. I was just anticipating the groan from John because oh, I knew it was coming. If you were going to say the average of the reactions, <laughs> it was completely neutral. But, you know, you've got to offset Peter's grin against the rest of our grimaces. Oh, I reckon Peter didn't even like the show. He just came up with that joke and it was too good not to use. <laughs> uh, it's a weird name for the show and it comes from a kid's game that's apparently quite popular in Korea. But those playing don't realise how high the stakes are going to be until the first game begins. The first game they play is Red Light Green Light, where people try to cross an arena towards an automata. But if you don't stop fast enough or wobble when it turns around, you'll be shot dead. Each game seems designed to kill roughly half of the people playing, until there's only one survivor. The games take place in vast rooms with unique and distinctive set design. They're connected by brightly coloured staircases that look like something out of an M.C. Escher drawing, built at an infant school out of play blocks. The sense of scale of those sets and the enormous dormitory the players spend the rest of the time in is truly spectacular and gives the show a unique and appealing look. I suspect there'll be a rush on red jumpsuits and black fencing masks this Halloween (laughs) as everyone tries to copy the distinctive look of the guards. I enjoy figuring out the strategies for how to win at each game and its central mystery. Six episodes in, we still don't know if anyone is watching the game on TV, or if not, why are they doing it? And who's funding the prize? The main draws the characters, all a bunch of losers with one chance to win. 456 is a flawed hero, an unemployed chauffeur with a gambling problem. Failing in life and partially living on his mother's earnings, he wants to turn it all around. 218's a former investment broker who's been stealing from his clients. His mother loves to brag about his success to anyone who'll listen, until one day the police turn up looking for him. A number one is an elderly man with a brain tumour, who chooses to play the game rather than face death in the real world. Other players are a North Korean defector, a gangster, a migrant worker from Pakistan, a loud and manipulative woman, and an undercover police officer, who pretends to be a guard to discover what happened to his brother. 
They work as a team to start with, helping each other through the early rounds, but what will happen as their numbers dwindle? There can only be one winner. It's a nine-episode series, available on Netflix, and it was watched by nearly 150 million households in its first month on the streaming service. I've been really enjoying it. Andy, I think you've seen the whole series? Were you watching it subtitled? Yeah, definitely. I can't stand dubbing, um, nor dubstep, but that's beside the point. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's great. Really, really love it. And uh, I just want to stress that I started watching it a bit before it became popular, you guys. Um, <laughs> you set the trend. Yeah, definitely. Everyone following me. It's uh, clearly got um, an attractive uh, premise and clear parallels to Battle Royale. But the thing I really love about it is that it's always at its heart about the people, about the characters, about their relationships and their antagonisms and how they're reacting to the extreme situation. It doesn't feel gratuitous at all. There's a lot of violence, some mm. of it very brutal, but it doesn't ever feel like it's just there for, yeah, guns are cool, bang, bang, blood. Yeah. It's all properly motivated and the sole central focus of the show is how do people feel about the situation. It's, it's very, very character driven, despite all of the um, brightly coloured foofara going on around it. So Brightly coloured what? Foofara. <laughs> Technical <laughs> industry term. I, I believe a brightly coloured foof is the result of a jazzling. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until episode eight. <laughs> uh, why do we think so many people have been watching? broadband in south korea tried to sue netflix yes. for the amount of mm. <laughs> viewers that tuned in just for that netflix have been pushing it quite heavily but whether they've created a success by pushing it so hard or whether um, it's that they're pushing it because so many people have liked it i don't, I don't know, know. I, th I, I thought that um it was one of those hype things that like word of mouth rather mm. than direct advertising for squid game certainly I remember it being on netflix for a week or so before i heard mm anyone talking about it. so i think it's been quite an organic kind of word of mouth build up and then once that happens obviously netflix are going to jump on and mm -hmm. and start pushing it netflix estimated it's generated nearly 900 million dollars in value from 21 million dollars to produce which is pretty impressive eight million dollars less than the dave Chappelle special cost oh. Which has caused them probably the same amount of damage. <laughs> <laughs> probably i haven't seen it and i probably never will I'm getting increasingly sensitive to violence mm. and gun violence in particular. But it sounds like a really cool concept, a high concept show that I would normally really, really like. And I did watch Battle Royale in the before times uh, when I was at university mm -hmm. and loved that. So it's kind of a shame that I can't watch it. I, I don't mm. think it's particularly... I, mean, I would agree. It doesn't glorify yeah. it. I mean, I mean it, probably it, it happens, but it doesn't make a fuss about it. Yeah, that's a, a good way of de describing it. That There's a lot of violence and only occasionally gore uh, as i would think of it i mean there's the blood spatter and so on but um i do like that it's all properly motivated and none of it is just this scene is a bit mm. slow let's have some gunshots and some I mean, death quite it's... quite often for instance you'll be focusing on a guy who's trying to win the game and desperate to and in the background you'll be seeing people being shot and killed mm -hmm. uh, yeah. rather than it being focusing on that yeah. but i was gonna say it sounds like you were saying it's about the characters mm. like in the games if half of the characters die does that still allow you to get to know people who go on to the next round i mean so far it's been fine yeah. um there's been one person die that i wasn't expecting to die when they died but other than that it's been fairly you know it wasn't like oh i've just mm -hmm. got to know them yeah it's yeah. not game of thrones or anything it's not say. ridiculous it's <laughs> yeah. not fuck you andy you like this character so here he's yeah. gone his head's not, fallen off it's not season five of 24 there has been an issue with the subtitling that there's two sets of subtitles. There are, yeah. There's closed caption subtitles, which mm -hmm. tend to use the script that they dub from, which doesn't always reflect everything because it's trying to match the lip movements. So it is probably better, if you can watch subtitles, because not everyone can, to use the straightforward English rather than the closed captions. I watch it in the original language without subtitles because that's how much of a purist I am. <laughs> So I've got no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> what did you think of it, John? Because you've watched a couple of episodes, I'm haven't you? I'm episode three. I'm enjoying it. I'm always suspicious of these kind of things where you've got 456 people. And in the first episode, you kind of get to know five of them. Yeah. So kind of knowing the games that maybe one of them's going to die per game, potentially at most. But, you know, there's a lot of obvious cannon fodder in there. Okay, that does leave you 451 people who can be shot in the background. Yeah, but you don't know who they are, so you've got no connection to them. Mm. There's, there's that kind of almost predictability bit to it. But then episode two did something that I didn't expect. Goes back out into the real world. 
like the the thing that happens at the beginning of that, I was saying, oh well, obviously it's going to go this way because we've got the Vista series to watch. And then when it didn't do that, I thought it's actually it's been a little bit cleverer than I mm. would have given it credit for. Mm-hmm. I have a weird thing about licking, so I didn't enjoy episode three. <laughs> right. L- licking. I don't yeah. like watching people lick things. <laughs> to solve the game, they need to lick an object. Yeah. And that object is Daniel Watkins, who is <laughs> going to be with us this week because he's still in the shower. <laughs> Do they know what they're licking? Yes, they're licking cookies. And the problem is you can't eat them. You just have to lick them. Oh, that would do me in. <laughs> in episode four, they have to um, eat a donut without licking their lips. <laughs> now, if they did that on the Great British Bake Off, <laughs> that would increase the viewers. I think they'd lose more than half the people if yeah. they had to do that. Did anyone see the news story in the BBC where they were saying that kids were copying the games in Squid Games? And you're like, they're, they're playing about games? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but apparently the kids, if you lose, they're beating them up. Oh, do you go to private school, Peter? <laughs> At times. Yes. You see, I, I went to a comprehensive in Yorkshire and we got beaten up and we won all lost the games. <laughs> a squid is like an octopus. How many tentacles out of ten would you give Squid Game? <laughs> I would give it eight tentacles out of ten, appropriately <laughs> enough. Or possibly eight and a half. I think most people enjoy it and don't be too put off by the violence. You'll know fairly soon whether it's too much or not. Mm. I will embrace the violence. <laughs> okay, so uh, my recommendation is June, oh. uh, just out in cinemas, directed by Denis Villeneuve. It was originally supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be released a year ago, uh, mm. but because of that thing, it's uh, just been released here. And for UK audiences, I think, am I right in saying it's, you can only go to the cinema here? Yes. Yeah, and then the US is released on HBO Max simultaneously. It's definitely, definitely a cinematic experience. It feels like what cinemas were made for. So I'm one of those people who went into Dune cold. Uh, the only thing I knew about it was a few years ago, I met a cybersecurity journalist that I interviewed. He's called Andy Greenberg. And he called his book Sandworm. And mm. it was about Russia's most dangerous hackers. So I kind of knew that Sandworm was something bad um, and he had a, like a quote um, from June in every chapter. But that's, that's all I knew. Did he not take quotes from Beetlejuice and Trimmers as well? <laughs> I don't believe he did, no. Oh. I, you know, I was thinking that. There was a couple of bits where it reminded me of Tremors. There's a bit where they kind of go to a rock and that reminds me of the bit where they had to pole vault from place to place on the rocks. Oh, right. They didn't do much pole vaulting in this. <laughs> no, no, they didn't, no. Um, I knew that June was based on this the huge universe it's covered in around, is it 20 books, 21 books, something like that so far? All very dense, all very complicated, and many, many, many characters. It's not my usual thing, if I'm being honest. Like, most of my favourite films are probably set in one room, like 12 Angry Men, Die Hard, Dread, things like that. Like what you were talking about earlier, Peter, if we don't spend the time getting to know characters and work out where they're coming from and, you know, what their objectives are, I get very lost very quickly. So that's where I'm coming from. There are some films in this genre that I absolutely love. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Um, I love the characters in those films um, and the world building and the plot. It's quite linear, quite literally in the case of Lord of the Rings anyway. So I went into June thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to like this because of its reputation for complexity. um, And I don't think I'm probably the target audience for it. I kind of figured that because the books are so loved by people who... (laughs) Who do do you think the target audience is? (laughs) Complicated people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just, I think like June connoisseurs, I'm going to call them. Um, People who absolutely love the books. Junisseurs. Yes. Virgins, I believe, is the term. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, oh, maybe they'll make the decision of making the movie just just for them. We'd also spent a good chunk of the day in IKEA and moving furniture, so I like from a mindset point of view, I did not want anything difficult at all. I really, really enjoyed it. So I'll give you a brief synopsis of the plot. June is another name for the planet Arrakis, and it's called June because there is sand everywhere and yes it is course. Rough and course yes yeah. <laughs> yes yes anakin skywalker would not get on well here you can't really be out during the day because you'll burn a fiery death and you have to navigate the dunes very carefully because there's huge monsters uh, underneath it aka the sandworms 
And to walk across the desert, you have to do the sand walk, which is basically a jump to the left <laughs> and then a step to the right. So walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> Beat me by a second. Like, I'm walking towards not leaning in. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't do the sandwalk, there's a very good chance that you'll be eaten by a sandworm. And I believe that is what this song, Murder on the Dance Floor, is uh, all about. Yeah, no reaction. It was a polite laugh. <laughs> all right, so Arrakis is in the edge of an intergalactic empire which um, runs on something called Spice. Spice is the most valuable substance in the universe and Arrakis just so happens to be the sole source of it. It has many benefits. It allows you to awaken untapped areas of your mind. It's also used for travel between planets and also um, it turns your eyes a lovely shade of blue. Is there anything because my experience of Spice seeing people in Newcastle City Centre is it makes you drool and fall asleep? <laughs> <laughs> Arrakis is currently governed by the Harkonnen, but the emperor of the whole galaxy doesn't want them to be in charge anymore. He sends in House Atreides to take over, and they are led by Duke Leto, played by Oscar Isaac, and someone I had assumed was his wife, but it turns out she's his concubine. Lady Jessica, played by Rebecca Ferguson, and they have a son called Paul, and he's played by Timothy Chalamet. They all head over to Arrakis and let's just say that things don't go quite as planned. So at times it feels very Game of Thronesy. You know, there's like rival families, there's betrayal. Um, and even though it's set in the future, there's something very medieval about the look and feel of it and like their way of living. I'm told that this is because there are no computers in yes, Dune's right. universe. Yeah, because there's this uprising against thinking machines. And that's why spice is so important, because it's like the only thing that can transport people around. There probably is more to the plot, but um, I don't want to get too into it for people who haven't seen it yet. I really enjoyed Jason Momoa's character, Duncan, who's mm -hmm. a swordmaster. Um, a sort of panto, gung-ho, slapping yeah. your thighs sort of thing to it. So you know that thing that he does in Anchorman, where he comes in and goes, my man. <laughs> well, he, he kind of does that twice here. Did, did you say it, Anchorman? Did I say Anchorman? Aquaman. <laughs> I was thinking, was he an Aquaman? I, I, I was thinking the same thing. totally baffled. I, was, oh, I thought she must know what she's talking about, surely. Oh, does Hazel not know the difference between Jason Momoa and Will Favell? <laughs> God forbid. I'd like to think so. Um, but yeah, he in, in Aquaman, he yells, I think it's to Batman, I don't know, I don't care. He yells, my man. And then here, he does it twice, but it's my boy to uh, to Paul Timothy Chamame. Chalamet. So all of the actors, I thought, gave really good performances, which is notoriously hard to do in something with this genre. So there's no, like, Hayden Christensen or Orlando Bloom's sort of wooden <laughs> style. the side down. Yeah. yeah. No I, I kind of like the weird... He had a very boyish look, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. And I actually really liked that. I thought it, you got the sense of someone unprepared for the role that was about to be thrust upon them. He's 11 years old, though, isn't he? <laughs> he does look like it. And I enjoyed uh, Rebecca Ferguson's I performance as well. I thought she, she really was a good. standout as Jessica. Yeah, a woman who has many, many talents and uh, she reveals more as the film goes on. But not in that way. Not in that way. Although Aww. She... <laughs> I loved Oscar Isaac. and You always do. I do. I didn't quite get Stellan Starsgard's performance. He's a villain, and I just thought it play, he played it a little bit too cartoonish for my taste, but I don't know how his performance has gone down. I thought like he was the sandworm when he did his like <laughs> levitating. I was like, oh, is that what a sandworm is? Because he sort of like rose from the table like a snake. It's a bit mm -hmm. like he's performing defying gravity. Yes. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> yeah, just, just slightly less tuneful. I wish Zendaya had been given more to do because she seems like a very important character. So I'm guessing mm -hmm. in the next film, which fingers crossed, we'll get, we'll learn more we about kept why. We seeing his, his visions of her. And yes. to me, too many times we saw those visions. There's lots of slow motion. There's a lot yeah. of visions we see. Yeah. And I could have done with a bit less. The cinematography is amazing. It's uh, Greg Fraser behind the camera there. Um, he's created this enormous expansive universe that doesn't look like anywhere on earth mm. um it looks absolutely beautiful pacing wise it's definitely not blockbuster it's not like a it's not a gag a minute it's not like constant action and it does take a while to get going because you're sort of getting to know all the characters but the middle hour is absolutely gripping 
tails off slightly in the, the last end. half an hour, yes. yeah, because they're kind of we thought the same. They're kind of setting up the next film, I guess, and they just need to get some important. And also, because you know it's only part one, you kind of know it's going to end somewhere weird and not come to a climax, and that yeah. does seem to happen a bit. Yeah, but overall, knocked out my preconceptions about what it would be. Really, really hooked in for a good proportion of it, and I think it's the kind of film that might even get better on multiple viewings. Highly recommend it from someone who knew nothing about it going in. Did you feel a bit cheated? Were you aware it was a part one? Yes. Also, when it shows the title at the beginning, it says part one underneath. Mm -hmm. And that's almost like a huge, big, don't be upset at the end, because this is part one. But Warner Brothers forcing their hand a little bit as well. Do we know if they're doing a part two? Has there been any news about that? Say if it come out a year ago, obviously they might have waited for that before they decided whether to go Mm. ahead with the second one. But it seems weird after waiting for another year. They haven't started making the next one yet. I listened to a few interviews and they're saying they didn't want to presume anything and they want to see what the reaction was before they press a button on a sequel. And I don't think it's been 100% confirmed, but it's been out a week Mm. here. It's done pretty well. And yeah, the signs look good for um, part two. And I would be really disappointed if they didn't go ahead with that. Yeah, I would be as well um, because I enjoyed the film and want to see more of it, but also because it it really, really doesn't resolve and it's just left hanging, um, which is probably going to be okay once there's a part two, but for now is um, a bit annoying. If you look at Lord of the Rings, they're three separate films telling one story, but they did an excellent job of making each one self-contained and, and having a proper ending, and this hasn't really done that. Mm. We went to the cinema with Dan, who's at work today, that's why he's not here, but um, he sent us in a, a little mini-review, which includes a plea to um, people to see it at the cinema so that we can all combine to be part of the, uh, <laughs> the reason that there is a part two. He says... If you haven't been back to the cinema yet, you should absolutely make June your first trip back. It looks spectacular. It sounds amazing. While it has a lot of groundwork to set up in the first hour, the middle section had me completely immersed. Couldn't take my eyes off the screen. It's definitely a part one. So do your part to help there be a part two and see it on the biggest screen you can. Because you sent me a review, it just went squee! (laughs) (laughs) Well, like a little guinea pig. Yeah. How expensive do you think Dune was compared to, say, Black Widow? Expensive as in How much more the expensive difference... was Dune? Yeah. Oh, the budget? Yeah. Whatever budget it was, it looks more expensive than that, I'd say. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. It's, it, Marvel just have ridiculous amounts of money. But mm. I would say, oh, if, if, you, if you're testing me here, I would guesstimate that their budgets were similar. There's no Scarlett Johansson to pay, so there's no big... Well, she got 20 million, I think, for making Black Widow. Mm-hmm. So apparently this was $165 million, mm-hmm. whereas Black Widow was $200 million. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think this looks like money right up there on the screen, and I'm not sure Black Widow does as much. No, mm. that's more sort of gritty, realist sort of approach, um, but way more explosions. I would imagine CGI is probably getting cheaper. Yeah, definitely. You can get it at Tesco now. You can. <laughs> you can't, not today. <laughs> it's been down for 24 hours. Are you going to go and see it, John? There's three films that I, I think will drag me back to the cinema. Um, that's Last Night in Soho, June yeah. and The French Dispatch. Yes, mm-hmm. same here. How about The Eternals? I'm really not interested in it. What? It just doesn't appeal. I don't know. I've not seen anything in the trailers or the advertising that particularly makes me desperate to run out and see it. Also, they seem to sell a tape Kumanjaji's head onto Arnold Schwarzenegger's body, which is quite disturbing. No, he, he is. He has spent a lot of time. He's, yeah, in the gym. He's, he's spent a lot of time eating egg whites and working out and in. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> I believe it's referred to as the Marvel Fitness Regime. <laughs> <laughs> the Marvel Fitness Regime. <laughs> he's very angry recently and had small testicles. <laughs> How about Spider-Man um, No Way Home? Yes, I'll go see that. Oh, yeah. I would do. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But it's weird that so many movies are all just coming out so close together. Mm-hmm. We're getting this pent-up demand of movies that have been just waiting to emerge into the mm-hmm. sunlight. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see that they are at last. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, even if we're not doing day and date releases now, the fact that The Eternals will be on Disney Plus 45 days after it. I think it's more the fact you're not interested is why you're not going to go and see it there, isn't (laughs) it? It looks like the theatrical windows collapse to some degree. Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm less likely to go and see something if I know it's going to be streaming in six weeks. So Mm. just for posterity, do you think that The Eternals will be Marvel's first flop? Uh, (laughs) Second flop. (laughs) After after Black Panther. (laughs) Okay. 
I'm sure it will do very well. I just, I, it just doesn't appeal from what I've seen of it. Yeah. And where were they all the time? You know, I mean, they're supposed to be here watching over Earth, but they'll let aliens invade a dozen times before they do anything. Maybe they're on holiday. Lazy fuckers, that's what they are. <laughs> the eternally lazy fuckers. I'm paying to see that. And it's like a group of godlike beings watching the Earth being destroyed by Loki and... We should do something. I don't know. I mean, there's a pizza in the oven. Yeah, fuck it. And it's just, they all eat the pizza apart from Camille and Jan who goes, no, 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 egg whites for me. <laughs> Pass the s- <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> so Dune then. Dune. I did feel that the first hour or so, or five hours or however much, because it was, it was a pretty long film and I've lost all conception of time. But the first hour or so, of course, looked fantastic, but was creaking a bit under the weight of, of the law with an R and an E. And um, all of the funny space names, the Kulabong Dath and um, <laughs> I think it's uh, the kind of rich, detailed thing that would reward rewatching. If you're already a fan of Dune, then there's probably all sorts of little nods and winks that went over my head. Does need a sequel and a good one made um, to really cement its status. But at the moment, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic about it. Mm. I like the bit with the sand. That was good, yeah. Yeah, good sand. So the sequel is going to be called July, is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> with a D. With a D. <laughs> How many long protracted walks across a runway to get to a huge, enormous space vehicle out of 10 would you give it? I'm between a seven and an eight long protracted walks to get on the runway to the rest of your sentence. <laughs> <laughs> between Peter, a seven and eight, seven and a half. How many David Lynch going, I went first, I went first out of 10 would you give it? Uh, I'd give it eight and a half. How many sips of recycled sweat out of 10? Oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's fairly disgusting because they, <laughs> they wear a thing called a still suit, which captures all the water that they emit from their body. And he says, yeah, it's mainly tears and sweat. And you go, <laughs> I wear one of those at my swingers club. It's, um, mainly I black. don't want to hear about your swimmers, John. <laughs> <laughs> those, those gimp suits are surprisingly uh, <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. and hot. Uh, my favourite thing about June was that the sand walk choreographer is named Benjamin Millipede. <laughs> yeah, he's he's, he's got um, the legs for it. He's married to Natalie Portman. He um he was a choreographer on uh, Black Swan. Oh. Oh. It's all legs ballet, isn't it? All legs. It is all legs. Yeah. I'm probably intentionally mispronouncing his name, but it's fun. So thanks, Benjamin. <laughs> Andy, what have you got for us? Well, as much as I enjoyed Dune, I'm going to recommend something that's pretty much the cinematic opposite, and it's uh, one of my boring foreign films. Uh, it's called uh, Petite Maman. Little Mum. Little Mum in the French. Can I have been calling my dad that? <laughs> <laughs> You'll be pleased to hear. It's a very short film. It's um, 72 minutes long. So for anyone that's sick of going to see James Bond um, stroll around other countries shooting scarred foreigners in the face for <laughs> eight hours at a time, then, yeah, it's less than an hour and a quarter. It's a French film by uh, Celine Siama, um, who made my very, very favourite film of 2019, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, I think she's absolutely excellent, and she's knocked it out of the park again here. It's a, a quiet family drama uh, with a slight fantastical edge to it. It's about eight-year-old Nelly, um, who has just lost her grandmother and is now helping her parents clean out her mother's childhood home. She explores the house and the surrounding woods, uh, then one day her mother leaves abruptly, Nelly then meets another girl her own age in the woods building a treehouse, and uh, this girl happens to have the same name as Nelly's mum. Is it Martha? <laughs> it's a beautifully simple and expertly crafted film that's about grief and parent-child relationships. It's got this really quiet, measured style uh, with minimal camera movement. It's got careful, selective editing and thoughtful placement of characters and objects in the frame. Completely lacking in bombastic spectacle, and it's um, a tonic. It's a lovely change of pace from most of the movies that are out at the moment. It does have a kind of supernatural twist, but this is really just there to serve the character relationship, so it doesn't matter if you know about it before seeing the film. This little twist is handled in a very matter of fact way, and it doesn't get bogged down by exploring its premise and um, all of its nooks and crannies, and it doesn't go into that at the expense of the story. There are some great performances, most notably from uh, Josephine Sanz, um, whose portrayal of eight-year-old Nelly is, is naturally sweet, uh, funny, and touching. The ending of the film in particular is wonderful, and it's a great representation of the style of the film as a whole. 
It's elegantly simple, it's emotionally satisfying, it says more with one smile than most other films can with two hours of irreverent quips, car chases and explosions. I think Celine Siamet is a bona fide genius and I guarantee that this film will make you laugh, cry and leave with a huge smile on your face. You guarantee that? I guarantee that, even you, John. (laughs) You'll love it, it's heartwarming. (laughs) John doesn't do heartwarming. This will be the film to turn you around. Mm, Not while the heart's still in the body anyway. (laughs) That sounds kind of very French. <laughs> I'm trying to think of kind of similar. Amelie? That kind of tone and... I've not seen Amelie. You've not seen the Amelie? No. No. I have seen both and I'd say, oh dear, I've started so I have to finish. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you understand it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> very good. Très bon. Mm. Yeah, it's a very, very gentle film, and um, it's exactly the the style of filmmaking I like. It provides information not through exposition and all sorts of things happening, just through really, really simple character placement and character action. So at the beginning, when Nelly's mum is introduced, she's sat with her back to the camera, you don't see her face, uh, shoulders a little slumped, looking out the window as Nelly walks in, and she just remains there with her back to Nelly, and that just just gives you the proper feel for what the film's going to be about and tells you everything you need to know without having to use lots and lots of words or explosions or gunshots. She's an extraordinary director. I mm. love Cecile. Celine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a masterclass in, in how to do something like that from camera work, acting, location. It's just a really, really wonderful film to watch. If you're not in the mood for anything um, high energy, then it, it's perfect. You can just relax into it and it'll just make you happy. We watched it as part of the London Film Festival and their partnership with Townside Cinema in Newcastle. It's not out on general release yet, but you can catch it in cinemas from the 19th of November. Please do. Everybody I know who's seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire have said it's amazing. So if it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's up to the level of that, then yeah. sounds like a recommendation to me. That is the format, yeah. <laughs> You do forget sometimes. <laughs> How many wees out of... <laughs> a bucket. <laughs> How many wees out of dicks? Dis. How many, How many wees out of dicks? <laughs> How many wees out of dicks? I thought that's well you meant. God, I've been saying it wrong all these years. You're still saying it wrong. We means yes. No wonder the French mm-hmm. hate you. Yeah. <laughs> all those 10-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is why Brexit, John. This is why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this this Yorkshire just keeps going across and calling his dicks for no reason. <laughs> Fuck England. Yeah, so how many wees out of dicks, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> it's so inappropriate for this kind of film, I must say. Um, it is a bit. Uh, I, I do this all the time. I recommend something um, having just seen it and, and I'm very high on it and I keep on giving things 10 out of 10. And I'm going to do it again. It's going to get dice out of dice for me. Um, Dicks and out of dicks. It's, it's the full not, dicks. Yeah, as, as many dicks. dicks as will fit in there. <laughs> Andy's gone full dick. <laughs> and um, I'm not going to suggest that it's going to be a 10 out of 10 film for everyone. It's a very much my kind of thing. But it's uh, if, if you're in a particular mood for something that's, that's gentle and sweet and short, then this is as good as it can get for you. Um, if you do want car chases and explosions then it's the opposite of that don't watch it so speaking of the opposite of that yes john i need to do my emails so what have you got for us <laughs> just one second hazel did actually pick up a phone at that point i did a method <laughs> Is he, have you just sent me an email i just sent you an email <laughs> <laughs> he's lying <laughs> oh no he's not actually <laughs> just <laughs> It has two words in the email. <laughs> it's how rude. How rude. <laughs> yes, I, I'm going to recommend either Halloween 10 or Halloween 12 or Halloween 2 or Halloween 6, depending on oh how you count the Halloweens. So this is the latest in the long, long, long running series. Uh, are we all aware of the continuity of the Halloween franchise? I think it's important that you're educated. Up to a point. Yes, I mean, I know it's stupidly confusing. I know that we're not allowed to count the Rob Zombie ones. That's correct, yeah. So we've got Halloween, which came out 42 years ago. Mm -hmm. Then we've got Halloween 2, which is obviously the sequel to Halloween. Mm -hmm. We've then got Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which isn't a sequel to Halloween or Halloween 2. It exists in its own universe and didn't have Michael Myers in. So because that was a flop, Halloween 4 came out. And Halloween 4 is a sequel to Halloween and Halloween 2. 
but ignores Halloween 3. With mm. you so far. Yeah. yeah. Mm. We then got Halloween 5, the Revenge of Michael Myers, I believe it's called. Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, which follow on from Halloween's 1, 2, and 4. We then got Halloween H20, which mm. brings back Jamie Lee Curtis, and that ignores all the Halloween films apart from Halloween and Halloween 2, so wipes 4, 5, and 6 from the continuity. That has its sequel, Halloween Resurrection, which is the one where Buster Rhymes does Kung Fu <laughs> against Michael Myers with its success. Then we got the Rob Zombie ones. So we've got Halloween, which is a remake of Halloween, mm-hmm. uh, ignores everything else. And then we've got Halloween 2, which is a sequel to Halloween, but isn't a remake of Halloween 2. It's a completely, <laughs> completely different tale. Right. And that didn't do very well. So there was a gap of about nine years. And then we've got Halloween. Mm-hmm. And Halloween is a sequel to Halloween but ignores Halloween's 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, yeah. 8, and the Rob Zombie remakes. So but ha- it's called Halloween. But it's called Halloween. And it's got Jamie Lee Curtis in it. And it's got Jamie Lee Curtis in it, Playing yeah. her character's age at the time, time that it came out. Yes. So the, like a 20 year... 40 years 40, later. 40 years, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to Halloween Kills, which is a sequel to Halloween and Halloween, but not Halloween. So Halloween 2-ish. Halloween 3-ish. <laughs> So yeah. continuity-wise, this is the sequel to the 1978 Halloween and the 2018 Halloween. <laughs> no, no, I, I actually, I actually understood that. Yeah, I think it's, it's very impressive that you just managed to do that uh, without notes. All of that information is in your head. It is. Yeah. Would you like to uh, explain the intricacies of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise? <laughs> no, God, no. Get on with it. I do like the fact that he asked us if we understood the Halloween chronology, and we we're all like, "Yeah, yeah, pretty did." And then went into a five minutes explanation yeah. of it anyway. I mean, I assume <laughs> that you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good that they haven't yet made a sequel to Halloween Three: Season of the Witch because it might get complicated if they did. They would. Yeah. Would that be Halloween Four, but a different Halloween? There day? was a totally different movie called The Season of the Witch. And the that one, yeah. song now just appears on everything, it seems. Mm, it's a great song. Wasn't that a Nicolas Cage film? It was. Not one of his greatest moments, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway. He has so many, not many of his greatest moments. <laughs> I mean, you could just say it was one of his moments. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, Halloween Kills is the sequel to the surprisingly good 2018 Halloween. So, is that surprisingly good in the sense of Hellraiser 5? No, it's it's a genuinely really good film. Um, you said Hellraiser 5 is a genuinely good film. It is. <laughs> but, the, you know, this is a genuinely good film for people that aren't weird. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, the, the original Halloween is a Stone Cold classic. I think, you know, that's that's mm. accepted. And it was dealt very badly over the intervening 40 years. So the idea of doing a direct sequel back to the first film was really, really good. And it dealt really well with kind of post-traumatic stress disorder and the trauma of what that actually happened to somebody as a teenager would actually do to somebody 40 years later. So you have Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode with a string of broken marriages, uh, mm. basically an alcoholic, paranoid. She was going to be a doctor, is that right? I was training to be... In the original, I think she was talking about that. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. kind of all gone out of the window. And she's got her daughter and granddaughter who she has a very broken relationship with. Kind of shares with Sarah Connor in Terminator 2 as well in that she's, she's spent her time waiting for Michael Myers to return. Mm-hmm. And the film deals with all that surprisingly seriously and um, really, really well. So it's, it's, it's a good family drama. It has a lot of character building. It takes its time. And when Michael Myers appears as this force that kind of initially destroys and then to some extent reunites the family, it works really, really well. It's, it's, it's a great film. That's the 2018 Halloween. <laughs> oh, okay. Halloween Kills, the new one. It's not that. It's the same writer, it's the same director, it's the same cast, and it's just an absolute fucking mess of a film. Again, this is our recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was really, really looking forward to it, mainly because the, the last one was so good. So um, this film takes place on the same night. Laurie Stroud, having believed she's killed Michael Myers, is taken to hospital, very, very seriously injured with her daughter and granddaughter in tow. Michael Myers has been left trapped in the basement of a burning house, mm-hmm. finally vanquished. But has, as the car is driving down the road to the hospital, they see fire engines going in the other direction and they realise that perhaps, you know, this isn't the end that they expected. Michael Myers, it's not a swell to say, maybe survived the end of the last movie. <gasps> mm. That's not worth seeing it now. Mm-hmm. 
probably the same can't be said for the firefighters. Who do not last very long, no. Oh, dear. So we, we get that as the opening. We then bizarrely flashback quite a long time to the events following the 1978 original. It has quite the famous ending where Donald Pleasance shoots Michael Myers. He falls through the window and then they look out of the window and there's nobody there and he's, he's, mm. he's, he's walked away and you get the shots of around the house. That thing to play and that's the end of the film. So we get to see what happens with after that. So we get a very, very badly CGI Donald Pleasance. I shot him! I shot him six times! <laughs> and a couple of characters who we then see the older version of in the present day. And it's interesting how much the film as a whole ties into and relies quite a lot on knowledge of the original. So we then go back to the present day and we have Anthony Michael Hall, mm. uh, 80s breakfast, hunk, mm-hmm. breakfast, breakfast club, club yeah, yeah, playing Tommy Doyle, who was a child in the original and was played by Paul Rudd in Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> and he still looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently they tried to get Paul Rudd to play the parts and he was busy. <laughs> <laughs> and it would reveal that he hadn't aged. And it would reveal that Paul Rudd doesn't read the scripts of films had he agreed to appear. <laughs> so what you have is the Tommy Doyle character gathering the forces of the town together to find the vanquished Michael Myers once and for all. And I think it's trying to say something about mob mentality and like the attack on the capital and stuff like that, because the idea is that they really? form an angry mob. To have like torches and pitchforks. One step away from that, yeah. Nooses. And suddenly you've got this very, very angry mob who are perhaps becoming as monstrous as Michael Myers themselves. Now, that sounds interesting, but the execution is just terrible. Jamie Lee Curtis's first build, she's in the film for 10 minutes and mm. is in a hospital bed for nine minutes of those 10 minutes. Had she not been in the film, it would have made no or very little difference whatsoever. So the 2018 film, the way it sets the characters and the family up beautifully and spends a lot of time building those relationships, and that is just all out of the window. It's just 90 minutes of incoherent people running around, shouting and screaming, and Michael Myers turning up and stabbing and impaling people in incredibly brutal ways. And one of the things about the 1978 original is that there's very, very little blood and gore. Mm. You know, there was suggestion and shadows. And this is kind of like a Friday the 13th film where you've got this unstoppable monster shoving light bulbs through people's heads and decapitating Mm. them and stabbing them repeatedly. And it's just unpleasant and brutal mm-hmm. in a way that is out of tone, I think, with the previous films. You've kind of got these little vignettes of Michael Myers going into a home, killing the people inside. And like the, the first house is like a, um, an African-American couple. The second house is a gay couple. And I don't know whether they're saying something about like minorities being under mm. attack and things like that. Uh, the gay couple are called Big John and Little John, which is, oddly enough, uh, the name I have for two, <sighs> two separate parts of my anatomy. And I'll leave you all to guess which. I think we know what the Little John is. <laughs> uh, so it's just an absolute mess, really. And I was really, really disappointed because I loved the 2018 mm. one and I would recommend it to everybody, even if you're not a fan of horror films. This is the middle part. So Halloween Ends is coming in 2018. 22 like that's true yeah i mean and, and they, they quite openly said it's the end of the trilogy but probably not the end of the halloween films but because of that there's no real conclusion and it being one film as i think the two were meant to be it would have been the 20 minute sequence in the middle of a film hmm. is essentially one long 80 minute action sequence with very little in the way of plot or narrative is literally just running and shouting and stabbing. Though it's quite possible in the future people will say, just cut out the middle one, watch the first one, watch the third one. Something happens at the end, that means you probably can't do that. But you'll see in the recap at the start of the third one. But you'll see in the recap at the start of the third one, yeah. When's the last one John Carpenter was involved with? He directed Halloween, the first one. He wrote, produced and directed reshoots on Halloween 2. It was a producer on 3 and then walked away. And he's a producer and has some story ideas on the 2018 one. So does he still get paid? He gets paid a lot of money for the do-do-do-do-do-do. I was wondering whether he actually got more from the music than he got from the rights to the story. I, I imagine so, yeah. If you ever get the chance, go and see John Carpenter live. He's obviously he's a composer as well, did the scores for most of his films. And he now tours with a band performing the movie scores and it's a great night out. So, you know, I'm a big Halloween fan. I'm a big John Carpenter fan. And I was angry. Louise also watched it with me, my other half. 
Dan sent a nice review of June, so I thought I'd ask Louise to do one, and the review was a pile of wank. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about post-traumatic stress and stuff like that. Have they not gone the route where, say, Jamie Lee Curtis's character was so fucked up by it all that she ended up being the killer who went around with a Michael Myers mask? Because that seems an obvious direction to go in. No, they played with the idea at the end of Halloween 4, which Jamie Lee Curtis isn't in, mm. there is a, another female character who is much younger, I think about 10 or 11 in it. Mm-hmm. Michael Myers is killed at the end of Halloween 4, then you've got like the coda which is that girl pulls on the mask and goes and stabs one of her relatives, possibly a mother. Mm. And that's like the shock ending of Halloween 4. And he goes, <gasps> and then Halloween 5, they go, oh, that was a dream. Oh. <laughs> and it's kind of back away from it. But I don't, I'm not sure that's ever really been done in a horror film. People will correct me of the, the victim going insane and becoming the killer. But um, it, yeah, they play with it in a few of the sequels. So how many entirely unnecessary sequels out of 10 would you give it? Four. Oh. Oh. And that's a generous four. Yeah, that's a bit of a knife in the back. <laughs> a knife in the front, a pitchfork in the front, a bullet in the chest, and it's still just stand up again and shake it all off. So he's Taylor Swift, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. And that's all we've got time for for this episode of Nerdfest. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then... Do check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. If you have the time and inclination, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a lovely review on iTunes. And as always, John has a special treat for everyone who does. I will give you a free pass to my TED lecture, which is basically me with a laser pointer and a spreadsheet of the Hellraiser sequels and where they... <laughs> oh, it's so visual. I can see it. <laughs> And uh, Hellraiser 10, you will see, is um, about characters from 6. Until next time, you've been listening to... And I'm Kisabel Andy, both. A man who will come round to your house to play you in a series of dangerous and possibly fatal games for the ultimate prize of a month's Netflix subscription. A woman whose demonstration of the sandwalk is now available on TikTok. A man who's wondering how much spice he will need to take to sit through June. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Something more Michael Myersy. Oh, is... I thought you were doing Stellan Skarsgård from uh-huh. June. No, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, he's silent, Michael Myers. Mm. Doesn't speak. In that case. Yeah, that'll yeah. <laughs> Very uh, <laughs> well done, Plimpertain Michael Myers in a visual medium. <laughs>